All right, folks, another golf week in the books. Welcome back to the Drop Zone. My name is Dylan DeChair. I'm here with Sean Zock, and we've got a couple big stories this week. The first one, we just had a celebration of Jordan Spieth. The best and oh, maybe not the worst, mostly the best, uh, but we definitely got the full roller coaster experience. Sean, what's on your mind this week? Well, I was on vacation this week, so I wasn't paying too much attention, but I think it was pretty darn impossible to avoid everything that was being written, tweeted, and played over in Saudi Arabia. Uh, for better or for worse, I don't quite know how to feel about it all, and I'm interested in talking about all that with you. So you're going to need to help me out. All right, let's unpack both of those and more. Welcome to the Drop Zone. Here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the Drop Zone. Dylan, about two hours ago, I had on my notes written, Spieth wins, exclamation mark. And now on my notes, I have written, Spieth sputters out, exclamation mark. What the hell happened? He did not win. You're right. Uh, At one point on the back nine here, Jordan Spieth held a two-shot lead. It was sort of a fleeting moment, in fairness. I mean, look, if we wanted to do the... The first take uh, old school talk show thing of did Jordan Spieth lose it or did Tom Hoagie win it? I think that we would say both. For, for the most part, Tom Hoagie won it. At the same time, I, this is where I was using my both. Stephen A. Smith. However, <laughs> however, if Jordan, if Jordan Spieth pars 17 and birdies 18, not an unreasonable request. I believe no. he I believe he's tied for the clubhouse lead. All other things mm-hmm. being equal. I know Tom Hoagie laid up on 18, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He could have also made birdie for the win. But I think that Jordan Spieth would like to have one moment in time back and that is actually the moment before he hit his tee shot on the 17th because he flushed it. Uh we had a classic Michael Greller Jordan Spieth conversation on on 17T, he, he pulled 8-iron because mm, he had just hit his approach shot on 16, and when it landed, it bounded a little further forward than he thought. So then on 17, he maybe overreacted to that a little bit, took a little too much off, and then landed it in the front bunker. And then from there, he hit a pretty good shot. He missed a short putt. The last time I heard a top you know, 15 player say they flushed an 8-iron, uh, coming down the stretch and oh. ended up short of the green of consequence was Xander Shoffley at the 2021 Masters. And both of those players adamantly believe they flushed their eight iron and just got unlucky. Was Spieth unlucky? I think he actually was way more unlucky than Xander in this moment because according to Colt Nost, Jordan was one yard shy of reaching that green. If you reach that green that trajectory he's actually going to be pretty tight and have a really good look at birdie yeah yeah the enduring takeaway from all of this is that jordan spieth is flushing it and i think that that remains true there you know you can second guess the the yardage that they played i guess the club that they pulled or you just chalk that up to like that's golf that happens sometimes it carries the extra yard sometimes it doesn't it didn't feel like spieth choked this one away would be my 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 coldish, my lukewarm definitely, take. Definitely not choked away, but if you look, if you tuned in, 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you got done watching the Pro Bowl and you tuned in for those last two holes, you would say, holy cow, the guy hit it short in the bunker, made bogey, and then kind of hit a weirdly topped hybrid and then a bad shot from the sand and made what was ultimately only going to be a par on 18. So that part looks choky. I'm not going to say he choked. He did not choke. He played a great round of golf today. But if that's all you saw, you'd say the last two holes of his tournament were maybe his two worst holes. A moment to praise Tom Hoagie here because it's funny the way the way things work at Pebble. Everyone gets off to such a hot start. Um, you know, you've got a bunch of you've short par fours and uh, a short par five coming out of the gate. So, you know, some guys will birdie one. It seems like just about everyone birdies two. Guys get really good looks for birdie at three and four. Today, five was playing short, and then six is a, you know, almost everyone's making birdie there too. So you can play those first six holes in a pretty uh, aggressive fashion. Tom Hoagie did not really do that. He birdied four and six, <laughs> but he doubled five. So he seemed like he'd basically played his way out of the golf tournament. But he did not go away. He made a nice birdie at seven, immediately gave that back with bogey at eight. But then on the back nine, he birdied 11, 14, 16, and 17. And then all he needed to do was make par on 18. Um, so shout out to Tom. Uh, I don't necessarily have any big enduring takeaways about Tom Hoagie, except that this was a career-changing day for him. He had not won an event, any event you know, maybe like a Tuesday skins game, but he had not won a sanctioned golf tournament since 2011 on the Canadian tour. That's that's a very long time. Uh, So 202 PGA tour starts for him until he got his first victory. And I'm feeling a little conflicted Dylan, because last week on this podcast, I said, you know, it's okay that Will Zalatoris lost because you know Luke List needed to get that victory he needed to get his first win Um, Luke List was going to get his master's invite Will Zalatoris is going to he's going to win and contend sometime later this year most likely I think the same goes for Spieth but I didn't feel the same way I felt like you know what screw Tom Hoagie I'm okay (laughs) with Jordan Spieth winning am I a hypocrite no you're not a hypocrite because Jordan Spieth is not Will Zalatoris uh, mm. When you're watching Jordan Spieth try to win at Pebble Beach, you're watching something special. You get the feeling that you are, you're in the right place. You know, you're glad not to be watching the Pro Bowl, for example. Uh, if you're watching Tom Hoagie win at Pebble Beach, I, I mean, maybe it's too late to say no offense to Tom Hoagie, but it it just it doesn't elevate the event in the same way. When we had Jordan Spieth and Patrick Cantlay in what looked like it was potentially going to be a two man battle. Uh, near the end of the front nine. When it looked like it was those two guys dueling for the win, this event started to feel big. I know the talent was not there. The the field was pretty weak. But when it's those two guys on that golf course, it starts to feel like a big event. When it's a Tom Hoagie coronation coming down the 18th hole when you've got, you know, Bo You're Hosler. You're holding on tight kinda, to some Bo Hosler stock saying, <laughs> come on, Bo, hit the green from 250 Jeez, out. when you got Bo Hosler, then just – juicing bunker shots past the pin and three putting for bogey it it came to a bit of a thud of a conclusion after just some heart racing action over the last really day and a half yeah day and a half meaning inclusive of speed saturday in which everyone and their mother freaked out about the approach that he hit 
into I think the eighth hole. Is that right? He had hit his the eighth hole. Yes, Jack Nicklaus t- called it the the greatest approach shot in all of golf. Yeah, I, th- I think. And it's there was his, Jordan Spieth, his favorite par four, I believe, in the world. Maybe his favorite golf hole in the world. Uh, Spieth hits this tee shot and it dribbles through the hazard line. I don't know, five feet on the other ha- side of the hazard line, maybe four feet from bounding over the cliff. 70 feet down to the beach. Um, it's a shot that if you didn't see it or you didn't see a screenshot of it, I'm shocked that you're listening to this podcast. But frankly, Dylan, I have a question. <laughs> and it might be an unfair question. Yeah. But is that is the Spieth cliff shot that crazy? Because... Yes. I will not <laughs> let you downplay this because I know that there... I know that this is... This is the way the internet works, right? You... We, we build things up and we immediately overbuild them. And then everyone's like, mm-hmm. I mean, look, we kind of overdid it on that one, huh? And we do it I again a, and again and bit. again. No, this, this could have been the most consequential golf shot in PGA Tour <laughs> history because Jordan Spieth could have fallen off a cliff and one of the most famous <laughs> points in all of golf and he could have, he very, very reasonably could have died on live television. And I'm not saying it's like a 50-50 shot, but maybe it's one out of every 500 times he hits that shot. Then he slips yeah. and something goes awry. I, this was crazy on a different level than, I mean, I don't even know what else to compare it to. I mean, we th- we we watch Spieth hit a lot of golf shots where it feels like, you know, he, he's doing something that his caddy doesn't want to, or as a viewer at home, you're, you're kind of having that no, 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 yes reaction. And, you know, it's like watching J.R. Smith shoot three pointers or something, but the, the <laughs> consequences of this one were just so different. I, so yeah. All right. To get back to your original question, how hard is the shot itself to pull off? Not crazy hard. I mean, he's just Thank chipping you. a seven iron. And he's trying yes. to stay in, you know, in a stable position. But Jordan mm-hmm. Spieth, he he really transfers his weight onto his front foot in his golf swing. Like it's it's That's true. It's impressive that he pulled off the shot, didn't catch it thin, and also didn't, you know, put himself at extra risk. Yeah. falling. Okay, that's fair. That he was on a downslope when when the initial video and screenshots were all from like that drone or blimp shot mm. from above. That's when I started to doubt it because I was like, okay, he could be on extremely solid ground, which I think he was on extremely solid ground, but it was a downslope. So a guy who moves forward in the golf swing a lot, that's, that's definitely sketchy. Um, my first question is what's like, what would our reaction have been if the guy goes and just grabs his ball and takes a drop on the other side of the hazard line, people would have been like, Oh, come on, Jordan, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, I think, you know, he's a gamer at at some point. He probably thought, am I really going to not hit this shot? I think Michael Greller would have liked to do that. I think in real time as his caddy slash, uh, angel on his shoulder, I think Greller, felt really conflicted. I think that he was probably just running through all possible scenarios in his head being like, Oh, he's my like God. the older brother who would be in a whole lot of trouble if the younger brother got hurt. And, and like, have we gone to, is this the time where it goes too far? Uh, I mean, I think you're right because it's such a doable shot because you can see him pulling it off. 
I think that if he did, if he hadn't hit it, people would have been like, well, that's kind of weird. I thought this was our guy. Um, but then watching him pull it off, I think his heart was racing. Yeah. Had to be. Uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to take away everything from it, but I also just trying to, you know, get a bit analytical. Did he possibly endanger himself more by hustling back to Greller in the fairway, like running back so quickly? If you watch the footage, this is a guy who immediately after impact starts backpedaling as if the, the ground is falling beneath him. I think it would have been a lot more safe if he just kind of stood there for a second, take a couple steps back slowly, as opposed to suddenly kind of getting the ground beneath him, moving super quickly. Jordan, things were moving quickly, and I don't necessarily approve how he did that if we're trying to keep him super, super healthy. I think Jordan Spieth thought that his irons were so hot at that point that, you know, that seven iron was just going to basically like go scorched earth, possibly mm. take out an entire section of cliff. And that then, you know, the rest of it would just slide like, you know, based on how he was movie. playing, maybe not that incorrect. Uh, I mean, you're exactly right. Process. He, he ran away as if there was like an avalanche that was beginning. <laughs> he got a, He got a club twirl in as he was running away from the club, <laughs> from the cliff. It's worth going back and watching. Oh, um, what a weirdo. I know, but yeah, I know that people get sick of stuff because everyone is too online and everyone makes the same jokes, but this was a, this was a special moment and I think that that's okay. All right. In terms of other things from Pebble Beach, they played with the alternate or do we call it the alternate 10th hole tee box on Sunday? What, what, what do we call that tee box? Uh, I don't know, like the Mario Kart tee box, like the, the video game tee box, the cheat code, the bonus level. I mean, it's cool. I would love, I would love to see more tee boxes like that, where it's really not costing Pebble Beach a lot more money in terms of, uh, you know, maintenance and taking care of that tee box to keep it in play. It gets used, rightfully so, very infrequently. Mm-hmm. I think we could come up with a new tee box for TPC Sawgrass's 18th or 17th on Sunday, just a fourth round tee box. I think we could do that for some of these at least to spice up some of these courses. It's not like we're asking for further back tee boxes, just something a little bit different. I really liked it. It's like an Easter egg for, for the Hardy fan, for the fan that really yeah. knows Pebble beach. Uh, that's yes. spent a lot of time watching golf tournaments there. It's nice to yeah throw a little curveball in there. And also strategically, it's pretty interesting. I think this year based off the wind, uh, more guys laid back off that tee compared with last year when people were not a little Patrick bit more Cantlay. aggressive. Not Patrick Cantlay. That was, I'd say that was the biggest surprise of the day is Patrick Cantlay vanished. I mean, rips driver to about 50 yards. I'm like, okay, he's going to have a really good look at birdie here on 10. Maybe this is Patrick Cantlay's day. No. It felt like not Patrick Cantlay's day. I mean, he was 300 through six. Uh, you know, hits a pretty good tee shot at seven at that point he's at 17 under all he needs to do is just sort of play it into the house make a couple birdies on par fives take care of business but instead he plays two over the rest of the way to his credit he scared a bunch of cups i mean he was just rolling it over edges but he mostly just played fairly uninspired golf a lot of contention for patrick Cantlay early in this pga tour season not a lot of winning and uh look man the drop zone is all about trends, patterns, recognizing 
what's happening before people take notice of it. Patrick Hanley is either going to break through and win a big tournament soon or this lack of winning, put a little chink in the armor. That's all I'm saying. Jeez. I mean, that's sort of – that's tough seeing as this is his third tournament that he's played since the <laughs> Tour Championship, and that doesn't Trends, include the man. Ryder Cup. He finished fourth at the, at the uh, Tournament of Champions, ninth at the Amex, and now what was he, fourth again here? T4. A lot of non-winning. If Hey, you know what? A couple weeks ago you asked me, is John Rahm not a closer? Mm. I'm going to return that on you, a, a Patrick Cantlay stand, and say, is Patrick Cantlay not a closer? I would not say that. I would say today was felt more like a glitch in the matrix than, uh, than right. something we should All expect right. going forward. I mean, how would Jordan Spieth, since Jordan Spieth's last victory in 2021? Hey, I'm not going to get out here and call Spieth a closer. <laughs> you will not get that from me. Here's why I think Here's why I think Spieth gets a pass in all this stuff. Watching Spieth, it still feels like a borderline miracle that he's just there in contention. He makes it look so difficult to be there that we're just we're just sort of impressed that he's in the mix. And so when he finishes yeah. second on a day like today, it's like, oh, man, I mean, what an accomplishment that was. We're also kind of was. accustomed to him essentially playing along the edge of a cliff with like his golf game. He was not good at Torrey Pines. He's really good again this week. He might not be that good this coming week. I don't even know if he's playing in the Phoenix Open. Uh, we've, got, we've grown accustomed to him not necessarily closing things out smoothly. So it just you know what like he is right now in the life of him. This era of Jordan Spieth is he is electric on a PGA Tour Saturday. That's kind of like where the last year has put him. Uh, is you know he's just gonna. Yeah, that's not good though. He's gonna suddenly be like eight under through thirteen on Saturday and go from you know the middle of the pack to right in the mix. That's kind of his brand at the at the second, which is pretty impressive. Definitely good for the shield. Um, but yeah, but like I kept thinking today, you know, he does some like Seve esque things and people talk for years and decades now about what Seve did as a golfer. Like, are we going to be able to withstand like this much speed acrobats <laughs> like for the next 20 years? I mean, if this is how he plays his golf for the next 20 years, <laughs> it's going to be really fun and really hard to believe in the guy and follow the guy and uh obviously a blast but it's like give us a through line here i've got a question for you do you think the chatter the spieth chatter the the self-commentary with greller do you think that makes spieth more or less endearing to fans uh Definitely because more endearing. It was there was a lot of microphone talk today. There was a, a yeah. lot of you know up close so and personal. In order for it to be endearing, he needs to win once a year. If he does this for three years and doesn't win, suddenly I think that flips back on him and is like, oh, he's kind of being petulant. Oh, he complains a lot. Oh, another bad break for Jordan. If he does it while winning, talks about the epic shot he's going to hit into thirteen asks Michael Greller, well, what would Arnie do? Stuff like that, and pulls it off and then wins, suddenly speeds the champion that everybody loves. Um, I do think it can, it, it can go both ways. There are two hot mic moments that stood out to me. One is just a little Easter egg for the Drop Zone listeners because this one, I don't, I don't think anyone seemed to particularly notice, but as Joel Damon and Spieth were walking down the third fairway, 
they were just chatting. They were talking about some karaoke bar, and Jordan Spieth goes, oh, yeah, I think we got kicked out of that one. Damon goes, yeah, you did. Someone dropped a beer bottle. And, and that was it. I mean, it was a classic moment where uh, then the commentators started talking over them of, like, talking about the two of them instead of just observing whatever they were talking about. Uh, but the second one was just a really bizarre moment on 18 where Spieth was convinced that he caught his hybrid pure and instead <laughs> just hit like a snipe hook that I don't know, maybe it went like 160. I have no I have no idea what the disconnect was there. I think he maybe just caught it a little heavy and it's sandy ground and it's, you know, a pretty tricky shot. But um, it's it's definitely it's nice. It's insightful. It's revealing to have all that microphone access. But yeah, of course, it it reflects better when things are going well. All right, let's move on from Pebble Beach and the PGA Tour action to PGA Tour players playing on the Asian Tour. Harold Varner wins the event in Saudi. He makes this epic walk-off eagle putt Mm -hmm. that uh, you could probably give him maybe a hundred tries. He might make one of them give me 200 tries and I don't make a single one. But my question is if this epic walk off Eagle putt drops for a very likable player, but it happens in Saudi Arabia and it happens at a controversial event uh, that the PGA tour and a lot of go, this is what happened to be clear. Yeah, (laughs) If that happens and it's an event that the tour and golf media largely opposes, does it make a sound? Man, good question. <laughs> I mean, talk about this thing's an onion, man. There's layers to this. Okay, first distinction, this tournament is not the breakaway tour. So that's one distinction. It felt sort of like that this week because of all the chatter around the proposed tour. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if someone besides Harold Varner wins... No one really pays attention. This, this is this is my thing about the uh, Saudi league in general is, okay, you've got all the talent in the world over there. No one's waking up at four in the morning to, to catch the action, you know, in in the economic city. Like no one no one really had this tournament on their radar except uh, for what it represents. Uh, no one was yep. really getting into the X's and O's. I, I would challenge most people to describe a hole on the golf course at uh, Royal Greens. <laughs> um, but you get a viral moment out of it from a really likable guy. You've got Harold Varner. You've got Bubba Watson, who's really happy for his friend, even though you know he just beat him with this walk-off eagle. Harold's been looking for a win. Um, you know, hasn't won since the I think 2016 Australian Open, maybe. So I I don't mean I don't know and it, he's also not one of these guys that's getting two million dollars to come over and play there. I'm sure he got a little bit of an appearance fee, but he's largely there for points. He's there for uh, yeah world ranking reasons. He's he snuck inside the top fifty with this win. It has major implications as far as like him getting potentially to the Masters, uh, getting mm-hmm. into this uh, WGC circuit. So, I mean, it's career changing for him. So you have to say, okay, should should Harold Varner have taken the moral high ground and dodged this tournament because it's 
it's very literally. There's nothing secondhand about it anymore. This is this is literally the PIF Saudi International. It's sponsored by the public investment the government. Fund. It is a government event behind the players on the tee boxes. There are giant billboards. Some of this is out of my depth, frankly. It's like, look, the U.S. government considers Saudi Arabia essentially a complex ally. So is Harold Varner. Mm-hmm. Should he be held to a higher standard than the U.S. government? I mean, it gets thorny, uh, basically. Yeah. How do you penalize these guys in the court of public opinion? Do you penalize them all the same way? The answer to that is definitely no. All of them kind of answered in some ways similar, in some ways different, how they how they reason with going over there, taking appearance fee monies uh, instead of playing Pebble or instead of staying home in America like Rory McIlroy. Um, I think where I am comfortable drawing the line is with Phil. Uh, and I know you definitely are. <laughs> Let's return like, to some solid ground here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I think I was comfortable with a lot of those guys saying, I'm a golfer. In the same way Joel Damon mentioned, look, if I'm being given a million dollars to put extra money in my family's bank account to look out for for me and mine in the way I'm supposed to, I was at some point more comfortable with that. Um, they're putting themselves first. But I became a lot less comfortable with what was happening on over there, particularly the last few days when Phil opened his mouth and when he started to to be so blatant on Twitter, siding with Saudi, deciding to make it a Saudi versus PGA Tour thing, deciding to use the word greed. Um, he told Digest that the PGA Tour is doing all sorts of wrong things. So he's turning his appearance this elevated position and platform over in Saudi mm-hmm. into an anti PGA tour thing. He'd just rather piss off the tour and take money from Saudi than to just kind of be quiet and shoot a couple rounds of golf, take the money and go home. This became this big peacocking thing for Phil Mickelson. And it just made me think that something is brewing and it's brewing a little bit hotter than I thought maybe six days ago. Phil Mickelson is gaslighting all of us. I think that that <laughs> we need to be we need to be clear about that and and say what is what. I mean, Phil Mickelson is is showing you a gray sky and telling you that it's green or something like that. Because <laughs> look, it's one thing for a tour pro to basically say, "I'm going to go wherever they pay me the most money," and look, everything else is too complex for me to figure out. But I understand money. I'm a mercenary. That's where I'm headed. Don't tell me that the PGA Tour is being greedy in this scenario because, you know, you can't sell an NFT of a golf shot that you hit knowing well the media rights you'd agreed to. Like, Don't tell me that an organization that has made you wealthy beyond measure, beyond the imagination of, of you know, your average person, your average athlete even, that that they are the greedy ones. I mean, any any pro that has made tens and hundreds of millions of dollars and is thinking of going to Saudi Arabia, that's greedy. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> By all means, you know, go for it. But don't tell me that the PGA Tour is is the greedy one here. You can you can have gripes with their media rights. I mean, look, we've yeah. had run-ins with the PGA Tour. I would love to be able to take photos and videos at at tour events. 
by all means, I would like to be able to cash in on that too, Phil, but it's just disingenuous. And it's, it's especially disingenuous because he's, he's sort of citing like market value as if this alternative has anything to do with a free market. Like it's not as if he's entering some world of free market capitalism here where Phil is, Phil is not going to be worth a hundred million dollars if you have to see a proper return no. on investment. It's only nope. because you're being propped up to sports wash the image of a country and how you feel about that again can vary. But, but I think we can all agree that that is what's happening. And Phil Mickelson by saying what he's saying, by saying obnoxious, you know, it's obnoxious greed by the PGA tour, whether or not he has a point about the PGA tour guarding, you know, media rights, etc., is one thing, but, but to say that he is not being greedy to say that going to, uh, the Saudi side is somehow taking like the moral high ground. That's where you lose me. And you know what Phil has going for him? He has among he, he's among the most beloved golfers on the planet. And when you are one of the favorite athletes in any mm-hmm. sport, everyone thinks that you are right about everything when it comes yeah. to your sport. And Phil is probably right about everything when it comes to hitting a golf ball, but when it comes to like legislating media rights and working on people's opinions in the media, Phil at this point in his life is popping off a lot of stuff on Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) which is an interesting platform to do it. And it reminds me of a thought that I have been personally trying to figure out is that Phil Mickelson at 50 winning the PGA championship last year, or was it 51? I can't even remember. Phil Mickelson, 51, winning the PGA Championship. Seemed like the best thing under the sun that could have happened for the PGA Tour. But it might have been the worst thing. (laughs) Not necessarily those ends of the spectrum, but it gave Phil so much cachet. It guaranteed upped his appearance fee for Saudi, probably by a factor of two, maybe more. And it gives him every bragging right that he needs and every uh, every argument that he needs to make comes back to the fact that he was able to set a record at 51 in a major and that implies that he's still one of the best golfers on the planet in which everyone needs to care about and everyone needs to listen to. The reality is he's a pretty crappy golfer every other week of the year last year and uh, I, I do enjoy Phil for what he gives us a lot. But we would be kidding ourselves if 10% of the things that come out of his mouth aren't blasphemous. You know, he's made a career out of doing that too. I would say in general, you and I are probably Phil Mickelson appreciators, but he's definitely going out uh, on a ledge here, don't you think? Yeah, I, I, think he's, I think he's cashing in on just years of goodwill of being a fan favorite, etc. And I guess that's kind of... I don't know. Maybe that bums me out a little bit um, to see him doing that. Yeah, he's selling out a little bit. As an asset, though, I'm also I'm also curious how this works because, in some ways, I think that say these guys were were brand new cars and you were driving them off the lot. They say that that a car depreciates literally the minute you you sign for it and you take it off that lot. My sense is that. These golfers, if they were to leave and join the Saudi Golf League, 
they sort of lose value as assets the moment they're no longer top PGA Tour players. It's it's a weird thing, and and one of the reasons that we like Phil Mickelson as golf fans is because he's the kind of guy that cares so much about winning majors and winning on the PGA Tour and all of this stuff. And the moment that ceases to be true he becomes immediately less interesting. So it's almost like you have yeah. this asset who you're buying high, and then once you own him, it's like, well, wait a minute. What's the return here? And I, I'm and still really confused selling himself on that. He's high. selling himself, and I'm confused on that return, and I'm confused why this would make him happier going forward. Uh, I, I guess... Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And maybe <laughs> like the... How does Phil gain peak happiness and one of the my sense is that phil knows exactly what he's doing i think that that's why i'm kind of like coming down harshly on him here is because it it just feels intentional it feels like he's legislating through the media um and i don't know if he is doing that to build up goodwill for him joining the league or if he truly is he used the word leverage a bunch of times talking about the pga tour so maybe that's his motive is to to get more from the PGA tour to try to get some flexibility on these media rights. I don't know exactly why he's doing it. I suspect it's one of those two reasons. And, uh, I I just want him to speak plainly. So simmer down maybe too. just kind of like, just, just play your golf dude and, and get over yourself trying to be the smartest man in the room. Um, I think we can move on from Phil. Um, a couple more things we got to touch on. I feel bad continuing to only talk about the men, but Brayson, DeChambeau, WDs from that event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nothing to see here, his, Sean. His WD is, frankly, one of the bigger uh, aspects of the event, one of the bigger news stories to come from the event, in part because he's injured right now. And I think a lot of people in the golf world were waiting for an injury to pop up with Bryson. Whether or not it is an injury that is due to his buffing up, his trying to swing uh, at a level that the world's longest drivers swing at, all that stuff, he's hurt his wrist, um, and he's potentially hurt his back, and he's not yeah, going he, to he tell any of us. He pulled out with his hip, <laughs> a hip and a wrist injury, so I think back is like the almost like the least of his issues at this point. But the least of his issues is explaining himself to the world what's actually going on um he's definitely not going to explain necessarily what has happened to him what do you think of it is is this another issue of uh, or instance of of bryson kind of rebelling against communication and uh just believing that the world is filled with haters uh yes first of all (laughs) um but i think that I would be a little less hasty to to dance on Bryson's grave than a lot of people are being. I think everyone sure. was waiting for this to happen and and sort of weirdly and kind of grossly excited when it did happen. Um, yeah, I get some of that pushback, but you're still talking about a, a guy's injury and a guy's yeah. Not livelihood cool. <laughs> uh, the champion. Like not a great look for for some folks, I would say. But look, also a lot of great golfers uh, have WD'd with injuries from events, and 
Bryson works harder than just about anyone on tour. So I would expect that he would, he would approach this problem of injury the way he's approached a lot of other problems, which is pretty analytically and with quite a bit of discipline. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't think we've like seen the last of Bryson, which some people no, seemed but, like they were suggesting. But yeah, it's a red you, flag. It's worrisome. You know, it's, it's a pretty bad time of the year to get injured, like middle of February. Yeah. It's among the worst times to get injured. Maybe middle of March would be the worst. So... It's a, uh, it was not, it's not a pink flag. Like you said, it's a red flag. Maybe call it red orange. Mm-hmm. Can we go with that? Bordering red, on red orange flag. This is like when they're, uh, what is it? There's, there's like a high surf advisory. <laughs> yeah. There's no lifeguards on duty. They're not saying you can't go into the water, but if but you like, go do it in, at your own risk, it's like expert <laughs> swimmers only. I'm not, I am not, uh, I'm not particularly buoyant, Sean. I'm not a great. I'm not. I'm not particularly aquatic. I'm not well, a great neither swimmer. am I right now. Uh, you announced yeah. last week that I was playing injured or was hosting injured, and I was not nearly as injured as I am today. Yeah, you um, want to give a peop- the people an update on your? <laughs> you didn't even type out a notes thing like Bryson did. No, I have dislocated my shoulder twice in the last week once was out for 90 seconds or so the second time was out for about 20 minutes um being the hero that i am i got it back in myself both times yeah what's the context for this though where where were you when you dislocated your shoulder and how one one was in a ski house the second was on a on a black diamond um getting a bit too crazy going down the hill (sighs) It's a pretty lonely feeling when you your arm is dislocated uh, and you're just waiting for it to go back in, waiting for me- medics to arrive to you, considering maybe that you're going to have to get um, pulled off the mountain on the sled yeah. with your arm out of place. It's I was not in a good headspace. But I got a couple uh, of nice photos of you, though, just really <laughs> cozied up in your little sled. You look kind of like a toboggan. mummy. Yeah. Uh, um, Let's get Man. back to the golf. <laughs> well, I in think terms drop of zone, my golf, I won't be playing a lot of it for the next month. Drop zone fans everywhere are pulling for a full recovery. I can just tell. If yeah. you, if Do I you, need to add my Venmo? <laughs> you could add your Venmo, but I think the best way to thank Sean would be truly with a, a five-star review and you know just maybe a nice a five-star rating and a nice review, I think, would really go yes. a long way. Mm-hmm. Um. Sean, there's a kind of a transcendent victory on the LPGA Tour this week. It happened on Saturday. Snuck up yep. on some people. Snuck but up on I, me. I think, I God, there's something really exciting about Leona McGuire. I think it is the sense that when you're watching her play golf, there's something kind of transcendent happening. She's an exciting player. Like when she was dominating the Solheim Cup, yep. there was something different about it. Even though at that point she was... Uh, ranked down in maybe in the 40s in the world and she still doesn't have a super high rolex ranking but uh it's just a three turn three round tournament this week the drive-on championship in fort myers she set 66 65 67 she won by three uh she became the first irish woman to win on the lpga tour i believe mm-hmm. she won right. by three over lexi thompson um the biggest takeaway for the first for me Irish like, woman on the Solheim Cup team. Yeah. Too. Seems hard to believe. But carry on. The the biggest takeaway for me here is like 
hell yes. Like this is, and not in just like a boring celebratory way. Like if she gets going, I am all in. Like this is a, this is an exciting character to root for women's golf. We talk about it all the time, how screwed up we get with ages. And she's not like a, she's not a, a 16, 17 year old prodigy. That's somehow already on tour. Um, she actually went to college. Her twin <laughs> sister did too. She was the number one ranked Am for a while. Um, a while for 135 straight weeks. That's a lot, a lot of weeks. That is a lot. She was a four-time All-American at college. I'm just going to pick up from where you left off. Please. Uh, I'm glad you brought up her age. She's 27. I know. <laughs> she's not that much younger than us. But she's ridiculously talented, and I, I, I think – the LPGA tour needs a really good player from Europe. And it's not to say that it hasn't had some, um, most recently, but like a player that will creep into the top five in the world from Europe because Solheim cup superstar. Yes. Someone that can kind of buoy the Solheim cup team for a while and, and, and make sure that, that the Europeans are not such heavy underdogs. Um, unless you want to keep your bank flow moving forward. Uh, the 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 thing I the reason why I say that is because everyone knows the LPGA tour at this point at the top of it is dominated by Americans and Koreans. That's that's generally the bottom line. And there are you know, there are some great Japanese players too, but when you talk about the top five rankings in the world, it's Americans and Koreans. And I would be phenomenal if she could really deliver on all the talent that she has hyped people up about all the, those weeks as the number one women's am in the world and, and creep up the ranking. Um, I don't, I'm going to do this and it's mean, but what are you going to do? If you just look at the, the last two weeks of LPGA tour champions, Leona McGuire getting her first win on the LPGA tour, delivering on all that amazing, uh, talent that she showed in her teens she is 29 months older than Lydia Ko, who last <laughs> week won for the 17th time on the LPGA Tour. When I wrote that out in a, in a headline last week, it didn't dawn on me right away how ridiculous Lydia Ko's 17 wins before the age of 25 are. Like, Leona McGuire just won for the first time, and everyone is through the roof about it. She's 29 months older than a, a girl who has won 17 times, 16 more times. Just, you know, a little bit of delayed love for Lydia Ko and just how freaking incredible her career is if we are going to be so in awe of Leona McGuire. Yeah, she has actually just approached her career in a in a way that's more similar to the way we see a lot of guys do it on the PGA Tour. So I guess it's more it's more familiar in that sense, in that context of she actually finished college. Yeah. Against some people's advice. Her sister was people thought also gonna play professional golf, but didn't. She's on the management side. She's like gonna be a dentist. Her sister's like one of the most fascinating people in uh wow, most in the golf world. I gotta I gotta learn more about that. Um but congratulations to Leona McGuire. I'm all, I also just love Ireland. So I think that, you know, whenever we get more like celebration videos from Irish small towns uh, after victories, subscribe. All right. Well, do you have anything else for us to discuss this week? Have you watched White Lotus? 
No. <laughs> There's a greeter in White Lotus who's this Australian guy. Uh, and now every time I hear Ian Baker Finch on the broadcast, all I can think of is Armand from White Lotus. <laughs> And, uh, Hopefully that connects with our audience. This is a really this do. is a me problem. I think that there are at least twenty percent of our listeners who have watched The White Lotus and are kind of chuckling to themselves. I hope right now. That's all. all I've got. Well, I need a TV show, so maybe I'll move on to that one. Next. Oh, definitely. Uh, my shout out for the week has to go to Alex Daybold, Debold, Daybold, Olympic snowboarder, snowboard cross, American representative. Um, He's not in China right now because he had an accident. He crashed during qualifying in Italy, and it's pretty sad that uh, he didn't get to go to the Olympics after deserving his spot over there. Um, so I was texting him earlier this week. Huge golf fan. That's the only reason why I'm bringing him up. Big fan of the drop zone. Big fan of golf. I mean, also a loss for us, Sean, in some ways. Like, you know, this was going to be one of our first chances to have a, a big-time listener be competing in the Olympics. So, you know. Yeah, I was hoping to just kind of use his cred. I, I literally told him, I'm like, hey, man, the entire month of February, I'm going to be talking about my Olympian friend and how he yeah. did in China. And I'm going to be using your cred while I'm here in ski country to kind of make me look like a better snowboarder. But, you know. Yeah. He crashed you know, and bowed out of the Olympics. I've crashed, dislocated my shoulder, bowed out of my <laughs> ski trip. Things are not going well for me and Alex. In all seriousness, Alex has handled this with about as much grace as you could possibly imagine someone crashing out the week before the Olympics. So definitely a well-earned yeah, a lifelong out. dream. All right, that's enough out of you and me. Uh, I think we've, we've approached uh, the 45, 46-minute mark, which is... Just enough to keep the people coming back for next week, Dylan. We've got Until some good then, stuff coming up. I'm Sean, and he's Dylan. We'll see you soon. <laughs>